we're going to look at the expectations in prayer. If you pray, it should be more when you pray, but when you pray, what are your expectations of that event? We're going to look at several places throughout the Bible to try to get a biblical perspective, a biblical foundation. What should we expect when we pray? Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. This says, And when, the, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. This verse is speaking about the disciples who in the previous 20 verses have been persecuted by the religious leaders, the civic leaders. And you may read that where it says, when they had prayed, you may wonder, well, what what did they pray? Well, the previous verses tell us, starting, uh, we'll just start to pick it up in verse 29. They are quoting Psalm chapter 2, where it talks about the, world leaders persecuting God's people. And they're realizing, oh, that's happening, that the leaders of their day were persecuting them because they were following God. And they're saying now in verse 29, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. They're asking for boldness in the face of persecution. By stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by, thy, by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. You ever had the expectation that if you got down on your knees, or if you prayed while driving in a car, or maybe out in your garden, or maybe walking through the creek somewhere on a beautiful day, did you ever have the expectation that if you prayed to God, the place would be shaken? That would be quite a confirmation, wouldn't it? That, well, well, somebody heard me out there. I find it pretty remarkable reading through the book of Acts how many times something like this happened. They're asking for boldness. They recognize that the powers that be at their time have pointed their, the target is on them. That they tried to kill, they did kill Jesus and he was resurrected and he's gone now. So who's the target now? It's them. The state is coming after them and they do what we should all do. They go to the Lord in prayer. And the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now there's a secondary nugget to me in that verse, and it's all throughout the book of Acts. Anytime the Holy Spirit shows up, anytime someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, anytime the Spirit is working in somebody, one result for sure is boldness. People always got very bold. They put their bony finger in the face of a king, some religious leader who had threatened to kill them, the Holy Spirit somehow gets inside a person and it somehow makes them, the filter comes off. They don't think, well, I wonder what would happen to me. They simply speak the truth. This happened, of course, after they prayed. 
I want to turn to the next chapter, chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. And starting at verse 18, the leaders had laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. You ever had the expectation that maybe God would send an angel into your life? Have you ever thought, well, I'm going to go down and pray, but that's just to kind of check that off my list so that if something does happen, well, then I I can attribute it to, well, I did pray for a while. Is it something that we just do so we can tell God, well, at least I tried it. I mean, I I did my part. I, I tried. What should our expectation be when we start praying? The angel of the Lord came into these people and opened the prison doors. If you are not in a position tonight where you need prison doors open, you probably either have had that in your life or you're going to need it. We all run into a time in life where things are big time trouble. There seems to be no way out. It doesn't matter if it's your health, if it's family, relationship, whatever it might be, a job. We We get in those positions and sometimes since we can't see a way out, we can't see that, man, my boss's heart could be changed toward me. We can't see that that co-worker that drives me nuts, that persecutes me relentlessly, that they could actually come on my side. We can't picture some of those things turning around. And because of that, kind of throw up our hands and, I mean, I can't see a way out. So there must not be a way out. God can send an angel into the prison that you're in. The door's open and he brings forth and he's even got a message for you. Verse 20, go and stand, speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came and they that were with him and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. See, what that says to me is even the people around you, even your enemies, they may not be able able to see what God does in your behalf. God delivered these people. Nobody even knew it. He got them out in the middle of the night so that when the People go to check on them. They don't even realize they're not in there anymore. Don't limit God in your expectations. Because I can almost guarantee these apostles, they probably didn't have on their priority checklist of how God will get us out of here. I'll bet he'll send an angel. See, the point is you don't have to know how God will answer your prayer. It's not our job. We go through so much mental anguish trying to figure it out, and what a waste of time. It's one thing you learn reading the Bible. How many different ways does God have to get somebody out of their problem? He can part the Red Sea. He can maybe have you build a boat to get through a flood. He can have somebody push the pillars out on your enemies. There's a million and one ways. Just look at Jesus. He used to spit into dirt to put mud on a blind person's eyes. 
There's probably not many people that thought, boy, if I could, if I could just get to him, then I could hear. <laughs> we don't even think how Jesus may answer our prayer. But isn't that wonderful that he does that all throughout the Bible, even in the New Testament, the life of Jesus. And I think there's a reason for that. It's so that we don't think, well, he always does it such and such way. And then we look for that way to happen. And if that way wasn't there, if it wasn't present, we'd just throw up our hands and think, well, he, he can't get me out. <clears throat> but God does things in so many different ways in every person's life that it may only resonate with you. This is why we pray. Our expectation should be when we go to the Lord in prayer, something's about to shake. Where the room where these guys were in and the room, the whole place started to shake. Wouldn't that be fun? What if we made up our mind tonight? We're all going to pray. We're going to get down and we're waiting until God shakes this place. I can tell you one thing. Well, there's a few things that run through my mind. Our nation kind of needs some of this shaking. We need things to occur for us. Probably not going to happen through worry, through anxiety, but I tell you what, we have some promises in here that if his people get down and pray, God shows up. Let's go to Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> and wouldn't you know it, you find some of his followers, disciples, in trouble again, in prison. Paul and Silas have been in prison. They've been beaten. Now let's start at verse 23. Acts 16, verse 23. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, Paul and Silas, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them where? Into the inner prison. You've got several layers to get out if you're going to leave and made their feet fast in the stocks. If you're reading this, and you feel like that's describing your life, that you're somewhere in the inner prison, where you can't even communicate, you can't get even word out to let somebody know you need help. That there isn't any of a like mind in where you're at. You're just deep in the hole. Don't stop reading there. Next verse. And at midnight, verse 25, what did Paul and Silas do? Prayed at midnight. See, a lot of people, well, I'm tired. I've had my bag of popcorn and orange juice and my movie. Oh, I'm, I, it's time to go to bed. Sometimes you need to just stay awake a little longer. and Pray. And there's a reason we don't. It's the expectations that we have for prayer. We think, well, I mean, I heard people, I heard grandma and grandpa pray over their food and the same kind of repetitive thing, and, and, and that's, that's just praying. That's what prayer is. You know, Jesus told us how not to pray. He once told people, he said, don't be like the hypocrites down there in the synagogue who have these long prayers where everybody can hear it nice and loud. They dress in shiny, a nice new clothes, everybody sees them, so that people think, man, look at that person. Isn't he a spiritual person? He's out there praying. But Jesus said that guy has his reward. And the reward is that other fallible people have a high impression of him. They think, well, look, at he knows how to pray. He may not know how to pray at all. Jesus said, don't be like that. You don't stand there so everybody can see you think, well, he's a, he's a spiritual guy. I bet he reads his Bible. Look at him. He's praying. 
Jesus said, you go into your closet where nobody can hear you except the Lord. So that when the answer comes, you know it was only God. He's the only one that even knew about it. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises. Now you see, you don't sing unless you have a certain mental approach, a certain mental station up here. People don't sing when they are under complete anxiety. When worry fills their mind and their heart, you don't sing at those times. Not unless you're really good at, for a few minutes, just overcoming it, shoving it to the side. But you get a look in the mind and the heart of Paul and Silas. They're singing. That speaks to me. They've got an expectation. Uh, We've been kind of places like this before something's going to show up. Something is going to happen, especially since they just prayed. Verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake. That doesn't mean that there was a tremor. It doesn't mean that somebody set a 4th of July M80 off and the window shook. That's not what that means. It's a great earthquake. That means the whole earth in that region is moving. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. Now sometimes preachers, we get a little bit too much of metaphor, simile, but I don't think so on this verse. Prayer can shake the foundations of your prison. Bands can fall off. Doors can open. Sometimes we we can spend all of our energy beating on a door. With physical strength, with worry, anxiety, and sometimes you need to take a vacation from that. Walk away and let God open that sucker. He knows how to do it in such a way that exactly what you need is waiting on the other side. See, sometimes you can beat down a door. You don't even know what's on the other side. There might be a fire over there. And all you're doing is letting air get to it. You let God handle it. And when it opens, the exact answer is on the other side. Paul and Silas, they sang, they prayed to God, and the place was shaken. All of that in verse 26 is a supernatural answer. You know, one thing that human beings take for granted more than anything is the earth that we walk on. I've often said, I honestly, I would like to experience kind of a smallish earthquake. I want to know what that feels like. That's that's amazing to me. The very ground you're walking on starts to shake. There's nothing we take more for granted that, well, that ain't going to open up and swallow me. It's not going to start shaking because it's always firm. It's always there. Nothing has ever happened to me living out here in Nebraska for 47 years. But when that thing that you take for granted so much starts to shake, starts to break apart, that's when you know i got something special happening. And only God can do that. See, what I'm getting at is our expectations for prayer. When you go to prayer, are you thinking about how strong you are when you go in there? That's what we do a lot of times. Even if it's not in our conscious, we think, I, I don't know, would God even listen to me? I, I haven't been the nicest guy this last week or month. and I, I remember I, I didn't treat my wife well. I yelled at the kids. I kicked the dog last night. and We, we think all these things about us. We, we think it's all about us. What did Jesus say when his disciples asked him? He had just cursed the fig tree. 
previous day. They came walking by there. They saw that sucker dried up by the roots. Mark chapter 11, verse 22, and the disciples asked him, Lord, what happened here? How'd you do this? And Jesus said, have faith in God. He did not tell them, because what they wanted to know is, how'd you do that? You spoke to that tree, and that sucker dried it from the roots, fell over. How, how did you do it? And his answer was, get your mind on God. Have faith, have trust, have a belief, have an expectation that he will do something. It's not about you. Now, people, I'm not, I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you to discard a holy life. Not at all. What I'm telling you is when you go to prayer, your expectation should be, I'm his child. He hears me. The blood of Jesus, the most precious thing he had, he spilt that for me so that I could have a relationship with him. When I go in to pray, I got an expectation that he hears me. Something is going to happen. All throughout the book of Acts, you see these examples. When guys got down and prayed, something amazing happened. And we're talking about prayer. Jesus, when he answered those disciples, he said to have faith in God. What's faith? Faith is that belief. It's an expectation. It's a... We... we, we Substitute the word belief in there. How does the Bible tell us that we get faith? Or if we have a little bit of it, how does it increase? How do we exercise it like a muscle to make it stronger? The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing. And hearing what? Frank Sinatra. There are some people out there I do like to listen to. I don't know if they're necessarily saved or not. But the Bible doesn't say that faith comes that way. It comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you don't read your Bible, there is not a foundation that you have for faith to increase. See, we read all throughout this what God does, what He has done in the past, even in the lives of broken people. When God showed up for people like David, Samson, those people had major problems, and God moved the earth for them. You read about what God always does through the Abrahams, the Daniels, the Solomons, the Gideons, and it creates a vocabulary of God stepping in under enormous odds. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. My children, they know a lot about their dad. I'm always visible. I'm in front of them. I even work at home. I'm always walking through the living room when they're doing their school or I'm in the kitchen. They see what he does. They know about what time of day he usually does it. They've been around it. When you see something happen over and over, it's easy for you to expect it to happen. That's why reading your Bible and seeing what God does in the lives of the people that follow him is so vital. Because after a while, it'll start to occur to you, well, he did it for those people. And there's something about the Bible. It doesn't just tell you their good parts. It tells you all their frailties. We, we know that most of the sins of Peter, and yet God used a guy like that in miraculous ways. See, after you read this stuff, you realize he, he can use anybody. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. You have to read this 
God has based his promises on what he wrote. We're talking about prayer. I, I often think of the story with Elijah on Mount Carmel. If you remember that, it's in 1 Kings 18, I think. Elijah had told the people of Israel because they, they were not following God. And he told them, how long are you guys going to vary, how long are you going to alter back and forth between two opinions? Are you, you're either going to follow God or you're not. Now what's the problem? And he told the competing ideas, the prophets of Baal, to come down there. And he told those guys, you pick out a bullock and I'll take the other one. We're both going to make and prepare a sacrifice. And if God answers your way, if the God that you say you serve, this Baal, if he answers by fire, we'll all serve him. But if he answers by consuming my sacrifice, if the fire comes down on mine, we're following him. Now, does that sound just a little bit confident? You see, I read that story, and I, this is one guy, and they had 450 of them. And as you read that story, they, he says, you guys go first. So they start out in the morning, and they prepare their sacrifice. They put it on there, and nothing happens. And after a few hours go by, Elijah, he doesn't just let this opportunity go by. He, he starts mocking them. He says, what's the matter with your God? Is he sleeping? He, he sleeps late. He can't hear you. Maybe out of call out, or maybe he's on a journey and he, he's not even home. So what do those people do? They start cutting themselves so that their blood is running all over. They are trying to work it out themselves. And the entire time, what's Elijah doing? He's doing what we do. He, he's making fun of them. He's so confident that the God that he serves is going to answer him. He mocks them. I don't mind telling you, I underline that in my Bible. Not because I'm out necessarily wanting to mock somebody, but he's that confident. we got a lot of Christians in our world today that wouldn't even think of drawing attention to themselves or their prayer that they're asking God for because, well, I mean, I don't have any expectation. He's probably not going to show up for me. Not Elijah. Finally, when those people are all done and it's his turn, Elijah says, go bring all the buckets you can and pour water on this thing. He dug a trench around it so the water couldn't even run off. He left it set there in the water for a while so it would soak up. Then Elijah prayed. He prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He prayed to the God that he knew. See, he had known God. He had come from Abraham, Isaac. Isaac and Jacob. He rehearsed in his mind what he did for those men. And I'm serving that God. I'm in that lineage. And the Bible says that fire came down out of heaven and consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones. People, I, in the winter, I have a fire going 24 hours a day in our home. Never seen rock consume in fire. Never. It gets hot. Sometimes it'll crumble up after a while if you get it really hot. This fire consumed the stones and it licked up the water. It's God's way of, that guy's out on a limb for me. I'm going to make sure everybody knows I'm on his side. That day, Elijah won a victory, not just for himself. The entire nation realized 
I, I think we better follow that. And sometimes if you get into a real tough spot, a spot big enough to where other people around you can even see it, when God answers the prayer, it's not only just for you, it's so that other people realize there's not only just a God in heaven, there's only one God. It's the God of the Bible. And I think I better follow that. Sometimes God may do something in your life big enough to get other people around you to notice, but he, it might get tough for a while. And it might get tight. Don't ever think that, well, God's backed into a corner. He's probably running off. He's probably scared. That's the one thing I see in the Bible. When David was out there in front of Goliath, there were no backup plans. When Noah built that ark, there was no lifeboat. Where just he and maybe a couple of his kids would get off and the animals would drown. That was it. God always has a way out. And sometimes we think, I mean, is it, is it really going to work? The Bible tells us that there is no limit to God. He can rescue, he can save by few or by many. And way too many times we think, I mean, there's just there's not enough resources around here. I'm in a place that... I don't even know where God could get the money to help me, where he could get the resources to get me out of this. You don't have to know. He's the creator of the dadgum universe. He made all this. He can get it from anywhere that you can't even see. But our expectations in prayer need to be, the earth's going to shake. It happens all over throughout the Bible. Let's finish Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Mark 11, verse 20. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, what did he remember? The previous day where Jesus had cursed that thing just with his mouth. And he said, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto him, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith can tell you there have been times in my life where I was so thankful that those words were in my Bible because it kind of makes it sound easy, doesn't it? There's not even that many conditions. He's literally telling us that, well, let's get to the next verse. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. I marvel all the time reading the Bible how easy God makes prayer sound. It's amazing to me. You know, he could have made it sound hard. He really could have. You would have had to run a four-minute mile. You had to do maybe 100 push-ups in 20 minutes or so. He didn't do any of that stuff. If you believe that what you pray that you're going to receive, he makes it sound that easy. It's really remarkable. One thing I notice in verse 23, 
<clears throat> because sometimes we can run across, well, I mean, I'm praying, but do I really believe? You know, you doubt your own self. This tells me to believe in God. And when you're praying, do you think, boy, maybe the condition that I'm supposed to believe, maybe I don't have enough of it. I want you to notice in verse 23, which word is used more often? Saying or believing? Verse 23, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Sounds a lot to me like Jesus is putting an emphasis on what you say. You know, when we pray, don't assume that just thinking about it, don't assume that just hoping for something is the exact same thing as praying. God wants us to speak to Him. He wants us to verbally, to audibly speak when we pray. It doesn't mean that you can't pray under your breath. Of course you can. Absolutely, of course you can. But the Bible goes out of the way, out of its way, that I think it's maybe on, for our benefit. We need to hear ourselves talking. We need to hear ourselves communicating to the Lord. Do you know you can encourage yourself by the way you sound? Sometimes you can remember, I remember hearing that guy in, my prayer, in his prayer closet this morning. Let yourself hear yourself pray to the Lord. I mean, if you've never done it, honestly, for some people, it, it's a shock. But it needs to come out. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire... A lot of us will only go to prayer if we desperately need something. Now, needs and desires, they they can overlap. But Jesus says, whatsoever things you desire. It doesn't just have to be a desperate need. You can live without it, fine. Jesus points out here that even your desires matter to him. This doesn't mean that everything that is in here as a desire is godly and he's going to answer that prayer. That's not what this verse is saying. We read the whole Bible, the whole council tells us that what we pray, it has to line up with His will. If it does, then we know that He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we ask. I lied. We're going to end on James chapter 5. I'm only going to tell one lie tonight. James chapter 5 and verse 17. James chapter 5 and verse 17 says that the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up and if he have committed sins they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, there's some adjectives in there, that last sentence. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. And that man is the, over, it's the, man, it's the species of men. The effectual, fervent prayer. What does that mean? What's that indicate? It's possible, then, to pray an ineffectual prayer. 
If the Bible is going to go out of its way to say that there are effectual prayers, part of the communication means there are some things you can say that it's really not effective with God. The effectual fervent prayer. The Bible has a lot to say about prayer, and most of it has to do with your belief, your expectation into the God you're praying. What do you think he's going to do? What, what, what do you expect him to do? The effectual, fervent prayer. See, when I read that word fervent, I do not picture somebody just saying, well, I'm going to try this. <clears throat> I, I mean, I heard about somebody on the radio doing it, and I, I'm, I'm just going to try it. Uh, God, would you help me envision it? And out the room you go. This indicates a fervent prayer. You see, the communication to God, a fervency implies an emotional attachment, a commitment to what you're doing. It's not just walking by trying to throw a, a quarter into a fountain where you're going to get a good luck. The effectual fervent prayer, we're going there and I'm going to get an answer. I'm going to the Lord and I'm going to stay there until I get an answer. The effectual, fervent prayer, it availeth much. Let your imagination throughout this week go to work on that availeth much. What do you need in your life? We're here at the beginning of the year. Sometimes we make New Year's resolutions. How about if we made New Year's prayer dedications? We're going to start off the year and we're going to pray to the Lord. Things, things that we need, things that we desire, things maybe you don't even need in your life. Maybe your neighbor needs it. Maybe your nation needs it. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person really does availeth much. Lord, we pray over every person listening to this. I pray, Lord, that you would put a commitment in their heart. Help them, Lord, to have the confidence to come and speak to you. We pray, Lord, that you would minister to them, that you would give them answers. Help them, Lord, to live under an open heaven. Father, teach us how to pray. Teach us, Lord, to commit to our prayer. And help us, Lord, in our walk here on this earth so that we can be a shining example to you to bring your kingdom to this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.